Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. give a huge thank you to Arsenal Football Club for playing beautiful football and winning football because it makes it a hell of a lot easier to ignore how my nation is playing. This is the Arsenal Vision Postmatch Podcast. My name is Elliot Smith. You can block me on Twitter at Yankee Gunner. If you, like me, uh, live in a nation that has a football team that's going to be at the World Cup, and that's a thing that you might occasionally get excited about, even if you're a big club football follower and not really an international football follower, that the World Cup can get your juices flowing. But sometimes your nation plays terrible football led by a terrible manager and it leaves you feeling not great about your prospects at that world cup a nice salve for that is when your club is playing exhilarating winning football so i want to thank arsenal for that because i am not feeling super energized about the international football situation that i find myself in right now so uh we're going to do a quick rundown. I, I will let you know as we record this right now, we have no team news. We're going to speculate a little on team news. We're going to talk a little bit about the bits and bobs that are out there in the world. Raul talking, which, I mean, obviously you got to cover it when Raul is talking. Um, we've also got stuff to talk about with some of our players that are out on loan. And we are going to look ahead to the Derby. Now, given that there'll be some news that comes out, we don't usually do sort of preview pods, but we'll probably get something out on the Patreon side of things just before the game, maybe Friday afternoon-ish, Friday evening-ish UK time to just update what's happening ahead of the game. Now, <clears throat> I do want to just ask you a favor. Uh, there's so many things that uh, you as a community are good at. One of them is making us feel uh, more special than we probably should. And I'm asking you to do that again, if you don't mind, by voting in the FCAs uh, for us and actually in the FSAs for uh, Arsblog. I think he should be nominated by now. I'm sure most of you have done that, but the Arscast is up for the FSAs. We'd like to win the Football Content Award and defend our title against, I should mention, a Spurs podcast. You can help us do that uh, by going to the link in the show notes and voting for us for Best Premier League Podcast or just copying and pasting the social media text that's in there and and posting that on social media so thank you for doing that uh, it really does mean a lot to us and i i think it's a special memory for me because tonight i got to meet clive um our first live event was that weekend so just special special memories now i have mentioned clive so i should probably introduce clive he is on twitter at clive pfc hello clive hello hello little pregnant pause there. Thank you for that. Just just enough time for me to have the fear that there's something wrong with the internet or your microphone, but it's good to see you. And back from uh, his tour of the world. He was on a, a world tour doing his folk music, but he's back to the thing he loves most, which is podcasting. His name is Paul. You can find him on Twitter, at Pausing In My Pants. Hello, Paz. Woohoo! Even Clive's pauses get pregnant around him. Oh, my goodness. I mean, that such, such is the nature <laughs> of that voice he's got on him. Let me tell you. Let me tell you. What a man. <laughs> I'm going to tell you, my, my guess is that he, he and his lovely wife have decided not to, uh, not to 
not to have any, mo- create, create more any pauses. further any further beautiful life into this world but but you know that's <laughs> nope. certainly their business and we don't need to get into it clive clive let's 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 get off this Slow topic quickly day. have you have you been snipped yet is that is that something that's been done no i just got i just uh, got sky that? i got sky sports in and that solved that problem really so, uh, <laughs> so that was that he, he looks like he's been snipped you can tell can't you Elliot? So let me let me tell you something uh, the life Scott, drains out of them a Sky Sports subscription and addiction to Arsenal and podcasting six days a week. That'll keep you from having that, children. Oh, yeah. No one's sniffing me, mate. Hey, lads, <laughs> <laughs> hey, lads we're doing banter. You know that the, thing the Arscast oh, does? This is we're the doing banter. banter. Yeah. This is the banter. We're doing oh, look banter. at us doing banter. Uh, it's, it's, it's only taken seven seasons, but we finally I've arrived it, yeah. at the banter. And of course, our first banter would be related to uh, male vasectomies. So that's good. That's good. Um, anyway, <laughs> hey, what, what's going on in the world of football, guys? Um, let's, let's just start with some team news speculation. We don't have team news per se. We have, I think, some, some positive noises. Um, and... That, that could actually be related to the conversation we were just having. But the positive noises are around the players that we have some question marks around. So, Clive, l- let's take this one by one. The, the first one, obviously, I think the one that may be even most important given the paucity of options that we feel are really ready to step up in a big spot is Thomas Party. And Thomas has been called was called back during the international break due to some concerns about his knee. Now, what makes this less scary is there were rumors that he was going to play on Tuesday against Nicaragua in their friendly. And I think Arsenal maybe getting a little more savvy, a little better at working with these nations says, you know, Hey, can, can you send him back to us? He's back. What's your current position feeling on, on the Thomas party thing, precautionary return and he's good to go or everybody panic. Well, it depends if you're, if you're a panic or somebody takes an optimistic view, right? So um, I know what you're doing. <laughs> I tend to be fairly sanguine in most situations. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, hey, look, I'm just trying to, I'm just in my mind, I'm thinking, okay, also, they can't, they've got to get better at these international breaks, which I think they're trying to, and, and put their foot down a little bit. We're sitting top of the league, you know, put their mm-hmm. foot down a little bit. Mm-hmm. You know, I watched Liverpool where they made international breaks all the end of the season. It's much better than us. And and so we need to do. We need to say, look, don't mess with us a little bit more. Let's see what happens. Right, I'm I'm hoping it's okay. But I look at the stretch of fixes we have in October, and nothing in my mind or body says to me he's going to be able to manage all those games. So um, I must say that you did a no really chance. nice no. thing the other day when you spoke about his minutes. And I think you should share that with again <laughs> with the, with a wider group <laughs> around yeah, around. How he was managed at Athletic Madrid. I think a lot of people maybe missed that. I know I did. I know I spotted things around his um, fitness towards the end of games. That's that's anaerobic fitness, but not really uh, just in games that I'd watched and reviewed when he was going to sign. So I had a view about him and his energy late in games, but not how he was managed on a minute by minute basis. So for me, he worries me mechanically by the way he moves. I think he runs with stiff legs. And particularly when he's not fit, when he is fit, he looks unbelievable. He really reminds me of Aaron Ramsey when he was fit. When he was fit, he was just amazing. When he wasn't, he couldn't catch a cold, right? And so, and it's just one of those things. It sometimes takes him time to get up to the, his level. So, um, so yeah, I think that I think how Atletico managed him maybe is a prelude to how we should manage him. At this point, I will let you give us the data. <laughs> Yeah, I think I mentioned this during our uh, Brentford rewatch over on the Patreon side of things. But essentially, 
if you look at his three league seasons at Atleti, where he was really like a, a, a starter, first team regular, he played 2,300 minutes in 33 matches played, 2,000 minutes in 32 matches played, and 2,500 minutes in 35 matches played. He played all the big games. He played all the Champions League games. If you go back to when he was at Almeria, 31 matches played, 2,300 minutes. Even in a season at Majorca, when he played 37 matches, he didn't top 3,000 league minutes. So this is a player that, for one reason or another, has been managed. Maybe it's something related to what the medical teams have felt he was capable of doing for the reasons Clive states, his, his mechanical, um, the way he, he, he moves mechanically. There may be issues there that lead to soft tissue injuries. I don't know. What's interesting is, in a 33-game league season that he played in 27-2018, uh, uh, pardon me, in 2018-2019, in he actually played the same amount of minutes for Atleti as he played for us last season in 24 matches. So it just shows you that the usage has been a little different. And I think, Paul, that points to the fact that if you want to have him available for the games, you're really going to need this guy. And you could argue we need him for every game. But if you want to have him available, it does seem to be the case that the way that's been done, at, at least at Atleti and, and Almeria and beyond, was by managing his minutes. So what's your take on his current availability and managing him through an October where we play, let me see, 47 games? Uh, well, I think that's all correct. He needs to be managed very, very carefully. My recollection of his Atleti days was, like, I don't know if it was injury management. I know he had a lot of competition. Uh, and, like, he was a starter, but, like, you had Koke, you had Saul Negas, you had other lads, a lot of tactical flexibility. You'd be in for a bit. They'd, you know, they were always making tactical sw switches. Right. Uh, yeah. Very tactical setup. So, um, and the reason I think of that is because, you know, it, it was it seemed reasonable and rational at the time. There was a lot of conversation as we were getting party from people who watched that team that like you know he was a starter but he f he fought for starts for positions with these other guys depending on where they wanted to play Saul and how they wanted to play him and how they wanted to use him how he was used within a game from being used defensively to was he allowed to open up his game um and I don't I don't remember any of the conversation at that point being that they needed to manage him physically it it, it seemed to be the tactical and competitional aspects seem fully satisfying to people as to why he was used, how he was how he was used. But it doesn't take away from the realities at Arsenal, which is, um, you know, he's he's always had this challenge, and mechanically, you can see, uh, you know, he can be uh, really attractive on the eye as to how he plays, but you also see that physically you can kind of see why a guy like that, with that build, with those kinds of movements, might be putting stresses and strains on how he plays. Um, one thing's for sure, we're going to have to manage how he works. And when you contrast yeah. that to our other uh, midfielder we like to talk about these days, as an in interesting case, the Chaka thing, I mean, the guy's just a fucking engine, right? Yeah. Uh, people talk about availability, but his engine across 90 minutes, across every game, you know, regardless of whether you love him or you you've settled into the idea that he's he's an asset, um, what an engine, what a truck! I mean, Thomas yep. is not the tank for us, unfortunately. Oh, look at what he did there! Love it.
Yeah. As a parent of young children, I can certainly appreciate that reference, Clive. The the um the other group of players that we're looking at, like Ben White, um, Martin Odegaard, Zinchenko. Uh, you know, I, I think Odegaard played ninety minutes for his nation, so I don't think we have any concern there, unless you know he did something during that. So that that's probably a good sign. I think Tierney had a head injury playing for Scotland. Unclear what the status is there, but I think probably okay. We haven't heard anything about Zinchenko as far as I'm aware in quite a while. And I, I guess there are maybe rumors of of a white issue, um, especially with us calling Tomiyasu back from Japan, which is a little bit curious. So do you have a thought on, on the fullback situations? Because there are at least small question marks over both Tierney and Zinchenko and both Tomiyasu potentially and and Ben White and I have to say wouldn't it just be ironic if after all of that we're playing Cedric against Spurs again can we please not wind up there so what's your take on the fullback situation yeah so the Tomiyasu thing we're just doing our maths and basically he's been taken out due to club circumstances he says in air quotes Mm -hmm. and what does that mean does that mean that he's suffering with an injury don't forget, he's just back. He played, Always possible. <laughs> Always possible. He played that game. He played centre-back and he played right-back in one game and looked really, really good. I have to catch a, a three, four-minute. Mm-hmm. They always look good in three, four minutes, don't they? So um, he looked really, really yep. good. And so is it due to him or is it due to, oh, Ben White, who we thought had an injury before the Brentford game but didn't. We thought he had an injury. That's why he didn't get selected for the England squad. He didn't. And so now Tommy Ash has been brought back. So has Ben White really got an injury? He probably hasn't, but, you know, he's there to be debated. Uh, Kieran Tierney got you know, a smack on the head. So he got he came off in the second of the three games Scotland had in about five days. So, in the end, he didn't play the, the third game, which was really, really useful for us. Tierney and, loves nothing quite so much as being just on the brink of fitness and going away to Scotland and playing seven games in, like, eight days. Yeah. It's like his favorite thing to do. I, it's, his club career is not thanking him for that. I, sure. I heard something snap in the first game, but I thought it was okay, so I kept playing through the other seven I, games. I, 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 I didn't tell anybody. I just heard the snap. Didn't tell anybody at the club <laughs> who may have a medical background, and I just continued, mm-hmm. right? And um, so, yeah, because I thought that would be really useful. And uh, so, yeah, I'm over that one by the way and so 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 yeah so Tierney so Tierney got a bang on the head so he's back at Colney I believe I'm not sure if he has full concussion again it's shrouded in mystery he was concussion how many days does he need to stay out and what what is the the sort of the protocol around that that head injury so um mm. so yeah uh, who else is it Odegaard I, you know what Odegaard slipped by me when he when played that first game I thought he wasn't playing so I, I really haven't read that. So, um, but our listeners told us he played the first game, didn't he? So we have to we have to listen to them. I haven't Next read one. it. <laughs> yeah. So I, I I just haven't seen that and how he did and how he's moving and how well he played, etc. I've just got no feedback on that one. So again, he's under he he wants to be running around because the bloke who played his position was last seen scoring a goal twenty seven point seven yards away from the goal. Right. So um so Vieira's looking quite sharp. So um so yeah, we have a bit of mystery around some of these situations. And we're all hoping that everybody, including Cedric and Real ne- and Reese Nelson, are all back healthy and running around Colney in the next couple of days. I believe the press conference is delayed till Friday. 
And so people may listen to this on Thursday. So I think we're going to know a lot more by middle of the day Friday. Worth pointing out that Odegaard did play 90 minutes um, on Tuesday against Serbia in a 2-0 loss. Didn't score, didn't provide an assist. Erling Holland didn't score, didn't provide an assist. Well, it seemed like rubbish to me. Clubs considering dropping them. We have Vieira. I don't think City has anything. So uh, crisis for them, not for us. Just means the title's even more in our hands, ladies and gentlemen. Um, okay, so uh, Paul, the the bulk of this then I think really just boils down to how Mikel is going to want to select this. If if Tierney and Zinchenko were both available, and again, we don't know that to be the case, do you think that there's a possibility with Zinchenko having not played in quite a bit, you know, just coming off injury, and the challenge that Spurs provide on the counter, the bigger distances you may have to cover, chasing down Kulishevsky and keeping him quiet on that side, assuming that's who gets picked, I assume it will be, do you think there's a possibility that if Tierney is available, Mikel might just opt for him as maybe someone with just that little bit extra pace, a little bit extra tigerish defending, going the other direction, sacrifice a little bit of what we what we gain from Zinchenko in possession for for some security at the back? Yeah, I think there's a very strong chance that's the way he would want to play. Uh, you know, a really strong back four. Um and especially so if uh, our DM, you know, if Party's not ready to play and we have to put Sambi in there and Sambi needs additional support, I like Sambi on the ball. Um, but what you might want to do is make sure they shall not pass our back four. And if we have uh, the, the four honchos back there, including Tierney, and there's one other factor, I mean, if he... Gives Tierney a run at games and the first sniff Zinchenko's back, he's in. Uh, you know, that's that's going to be a little challenging for Tierney to get his head around. Um, now, if he sees a bit, tactically, if he sees a big difference, obviously they play differently, but a, a big difference to our outcomes of Zinchenko over Tierney he has to go with Zinchenko if he's fit enough. But, you know, you have the, a similar challenge on the right-hand side with White versus Tommy Asso in that... Uh, I think we would both we would tend to think that they're both very very secure and they both add a lot and they both can do somewhat similar things. So he's got a, a call there to make there, but it would be very tough for him to drop Ben White, given that Ben White didn't get his international call up, and then you kick him in the balls by dropping him in the next game after that. Um, he should do it if he thinks it makes the difference in the outcome of the game. But I think you start with White and Tierney to back the guys um, who, for slightly different reasons, uh, have been working hard, doing well, have been playing, um, and uh, give us a le- the level of robustness defensively that we're looking for and support Saliba, or sorry, support uh, Sambi uh, in his midfield gig and allows us to play. So... I think that's a factor. It shouldn't It shouldn't be the dominant factor, but if you're 50-50 on these players, I think that's why a tyranny and a white may start. Yeah, I, I'm guessing you don't have an opinion on this, Clive, but I'll, I'll at least <laughs> ask you, um, and then we can move on to something else because I, I know this isn't the sort of thing that gets you going. Um, it, it is interesting to me as I think about this because we have become a team whose dominant profile is what we do in possession, how we control territory, how we control the ball. 
And so I think if you make a selection choice based more on how you defend, you're naturally maybe reducing your effectiveness at the thing that's your new USP, right? Your your new strength. But I understand that this is all a balance. And I do think the thing that makes Spurs an interesting opponent is while I tend to think the way they play football will struggle to accumulate the, the necessary points to really be near the top by the end of a season, in any one big game, that style of kind of sitting back and using elite forward talent to counterattack can be very difficult to game plan for and to effectively cap. But people just say, well, just don't have the ball. If you don't have the ball, they can't beat you. Well, easier said than done. What are you going to do that? You know, and like, how do you convince them to have the ball? They don't want the ball. Your players like to be on the ball. It, it is a difficult tactical conundrum when you, when you face them. So do you think that his selection, that Arteta's selection may reflect a prioritization around solving for their for their counterattacking threat? Because I, I do think one thing that's changed slightly, I think that we used to be a team that built our tactics maybe too much around stopping the opposition's strength rather than emphasizing our own. And I don't think we do that as much anymore. Okay, right, let's go. So Spurs, I think if I am Spurs... Uh, hang on, hang on one second. Pause on Twitter, pause my pants. Thanks, <laughs> <laughs> okay yeah. Clive here you if go I, I'll mute my microphone have, have <laughs> let's go I've had, en- I've had enough right let's go let's, let's talk this through so suppose what are they what are, what are they going to want to do they're going to want to do what we want to do which is control the first five minutes of the game and they're going to want to come out and start fast the reason being they are set up they are front running team they want to set up this so they can then drop into their shape get their distances right and then progress that way right so so for me, it's it's vitally important that we control the early phases. And, and every game I've watched this season, including preseason, we've done really well at the start of games. Apart from me, Manchester United. Is that a fair comment? And so, yeah. so how do we play normally? We roll the ball around, we go into our midfield, into our Odegaard, Vieira, or Shaka, we set back, and we intend to go down the sides to Martinelli or Saka via our sort of inverted fullbacks. And then we progress that way. That's an interesting scenario because then... Spurs have to decide whether they push their wing backs on to them. Are they gonna re- are they gonna risk it? Are they gonna get really, really tight to Saka and Martinelli with their wing backs? Or are they gonna push their wing backs higher into Tierney and say White, for example, if they play? That's a challenge they have. Because those two guys in Saka and Martinelli are like slippery eels and they get out of contact, bang, they're in, and then we connect and we're onto the back three. And I don't think Spurs' back three is very good. So they have a challenge there. I think for me, I think defensive transition is something we see Spurs' goals in highlights, so we actually think that's all they do. They do lump yeah. the ball into wide areas and cross. They're a very good crossing team, and they always have three in the box. So their five lanes done by wing backs and the three in the in the box interior. So, and they cross to the back stick, particularly with Perisic on his right foot to the back stick, and they go to Kane on the other side, which we saw in the other game. And Son hangs around the edge of the area for shots. Right, so. That's their model. They have a double pivot trying to protect the back five. The double back three, sorry, the double pivot is very functional. Don't do much to me. Side by side, not even on, not even a one plus one. So I think the reason why we're sort of worried about this game is slightly deeper topic, right? Everyone is looking at, apart from the shame of all the Spurs people that we know if we lose, it's going to be hard for us. But for me, everyone's looking at Spurs and thinking, they are the team that's not really playing well. They must have gears to go. And that trust and faith is based on what almost 
what they're not doing, they're just going to be able to do it because of their manager, because of the age of their players, because they've got these superstar forwards. And people look at Arsenal and think, oh, look at plucky young Arsenal. They must be in fifth gear already. Hmm. And if Spurs turn up properly and play properly, it's going to blow us off the park. Well, I have a, I have a right. different theory. I, I have a different theory. I don't think we're in fifth gear. And I think we're being underestimated. We've been un- underestimated by everyone thinking how we're playing. This is the best we can do. I personally feel there is loads more. And I think that desire to to really imprint how good we are is what caught us out of Manchester United. It, it overcome our structure and our principles. So I'm hoping we come out like we did against Bedford, really, really sharp, take the story of the game. And I think they're going to be surprised by our pattern and speed of ball movement and the confidence of our front five and the, the different shapes, skills, abilities, playmaking abilities, speed on the dribble, penetration. They're going to have all of this to worry about. And I don't think they've seen this before. You know, So I think the football world is up for a little bit of a, a reset. And as long as we perform like we did, even though it, I'm, I'm happy, as long as we perform, I'm happy. But I don't want us just to think about what they could do. You know, I think it's obvious what they could do. I think it's far more important we focus on what we do well and continue to do so. And the you thing know is, I like that. Yeah, go for it, Paul. Yeah, mm-hmm. the Emirates is going to be rocking, and you can't ignore that if you're Arteta. You can't play all cagey. You can't, <clears throat> not that anybody here was suggesting, we let them have the ball and right. and we sit back a little more or, what, or some shade of that. Like, that's just going to be weird for the players to be playing all kind of cagey while the stadium's going absolutely fucking nuts. And mm-hmm. really, Spurs would be much happier with this kind of confused state of play where, you know, we don't really know what we're trying... In the end, we can't, we can't over-egg it. That's why I like having Tierney in the back, in the back four, which, which allows us a degree of security in the back line, but then we go and play our football. Uh, it, we might be able to um, zip it around the midfield a little quicker with Zinchenko and this and that, but I don't think that's, uh, of course, that's always better, but I don't think our issue is going to be attacking intent or energy or getting forward or putting pressure on them. Our issue is making sure on the two, three, four occasions in the first half in which they get out, <clears throat> we're ready and we've got the players for it so that we can, with a, kind of a clear mind, go and attack them full out. So. I like a slightly more defensive back line so that we're secure to just go at them in in, in attack, especially if we may not have party as as DM. Um, yeah. So and like a manager who tries to be too clever with caginess, not that anybody was suggesting it, is mm. going to get himself in trouble with that much energy behind the team. It's interesting yep. because if I look at, at Spurs' results, I'll just say this quickly and then turn it back over to you, Clive. The the game that I felt. Spurs were most thoroughly outplayed this season. I've unfortunately watched quite a bit of Tottenham, okay? I thought that they were soundly outplayed by Chelsea. And they did sort of what they do, which is a bit of a smash and grab. Now, Chelsea had 65% of the ball in that game, and I thought really outplayed them. Um, I do think that if you keep this Spurs team under enough pressure, deep enough in their defensive third, you start to see the cracks show up. And as Klopp once said about Manchester City, they get you pushed back enough that you can't play your football and you just start going long. The key to me, Clive, we know Tottenham will go long. 
You have to smash them. You have to win that first or second ball. You cannot let, like, you can't let Kane take down that long ball and distribute it to Sonner Kulishevsky. You've got to find a way to, to, to win that first ball when they go over the, because if we press, they're just going to try to go over it. And you cannot let those passes connect with their targets and have them going 3v3 or, you know, 2v2 against your defenders because that's where the talent they have in that in those attackers will expose you. Um yeah. you shook your head no, which yeah. is to be fair, I'm fairly used to that at this point. Um so I don't I, it doesn't even phase me, but I'm certainly happy to to get your take on the perspective, which I assume you just completely agree with and the head gesture was was involuntary. <laughs> I keep forgetting we're on video. We never used to do this on video. I like this game. No, 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 no. <laughs> you just shake your head. You just shake your head. No, I wouldn't no, no, I just no, keep talking. No, no. <laughs> now I shake my head, I see Paul sniggering on the other side. So like um <laughs> so well I think I actually think we should press the backside off of them. I really do. That's what Chelsea did. We need to be really aggressive and yep. press them. Now I agree with they, that. By they, the way, I'm saying when they go, I know. I was going to say you, you this is your, this is your, this is what you've always said, right? So we need to press mm-hmm. yep. the backside off. I want us to be massively aggressive, and the reason why, I don't think their back through their back three can look after the ball. So they they they're just terrible on the ball. Potentially they're going to have Fraser Forster in goal, and he has got feet of clay. Right, so mm. absolutely need to press him. The unfortunate thing about Fraser Forster, he has one good game a year, and it tends to be at Arsenal's ground. And I've seen a few <laughs> few too many of them. The people who know what I'm talking about when he's playing for Southampton, it's, it's a problem. He likes our ground. So we need to pressure them. So if they do go long, I'm not worried about us physically at the pack, you know, and, and in midfield to win the first ball, then the second ball, and then we turn around. So they I do agree. The way Chelsea played Spurs, they were very high energy, very aggressive. They really took over the game, made it a real derby. And Spurs got a an equalising goal at the end, which they certainly didn't deserve. In fact, it should have been down to 10 men. So they got maximum reward for about two shots. Right? So um, that won't work at, at Arsenal. No chance. I think our forwards are better than Chelsea's. I think we've got more scoring threats. I think we've got more creativity. We've got different ways of progressing up the pitch. So I think be really aggressive front foot. If they even pretend to play a ball around in their back line, we take it off of them, right? And then really say you've got to go long because airily I'm pretty comfortable with Saliba, Gabriel, White, Party, for example. I'm very comfortable. Shaka, if it goes in the air, it's we will be okay. And by the way, Spurs are the tallest team in the league, so having those tall bodies in our team is very important. You know, and to that end, if I was being pragmatic, cautious, Clive, I would actually think about playing Tommy Assi left back. But my son told me, Don't be so stupid, no one runs past Tierney. I thought, you know what, he's probably right. And what would that do to you have two other left backs in the team? That you're not playing there is no for one way day. for a son to talk to his father. <laughs> trust me, trust me. He's a 21 year old boy. You seen that boy? <laughs> that boy wants to talk that way to Clive. Clive just says yes, sir. Sorry. Sir. I said yes, <laughs> yes, son. You are correct. And let me just take that back to the podcast, and hopefully they'll accept that information. <laughs> right? So, uh, so yeah. But I have a. I do. I've always had a little thing about Tommy Asu playing left back. I've seen it in my own eyes. I think he can do it very, very well. If there's one game. If it's one game, this is the one against the biggest team in the league. But hey, look, that's just me being cautious. Kieran Tierney's a good football. If his head's right, he should uh, he should play the game. Pop. Yeah, look, I just want to give you a little support there, Elliot. I know what you go through when you're talking and Clive starts shaking his head. 
I actually mm-hmm. talked about it in the AVP clips thing. I can't remember what the topic was, but I referenced I, you were you were um, like sky high on ayahuasca and mushrooms based on the last AVP clips you did. So I can understand yeah, why you don't remember complex <laughs> systems or something. But it was on yeah. a point that I wanted to address because <laughs> on the previous pod. Clive has shook his head all the way through my five-minute talk on it, and I'm like, mm-hmm. I remember thinking, I remember trying to say things that would get his get head him to shaking nod. his head up and down. It's the kind of stuff <laughs> Clive would like, and it's sti- he still was still shaking, shaking his head, though. and I don't know still if it was the question or what I was saying, but you I know what I'm talking about. What you were saying, yeah, you, you know start- what, what's even worse is if I'm talking and you're agreeing with me. That's when I start to say, "Uh, <laughs> this has gotten off the rails." So I try try yeah. to avoid that at all costs. Let, let me ask you so, something, Paulie. I was yeah. thinking about, unfortunately, uh, this this morning was last season's away derby, mm-hmm. and it's funny because we all remember going to pieces at Newcastle. I think I think we folded. Candidly, and uh, we didn't have the players. The thing that everybody uh-huh. sort of forgets, it's not just that we didn't have Gabriel Jesus. We didn't have anybody, right? Like we were we were going through that period yep. really, really weak. And, and Mikel made some really suspect decisions, as we know, ironically, at fullback. We've just been discussing fullback. He made some poor choices. But I look at that game, and it's hard to draw too much from it, Paul, yep. from, from the first 10 minutes or eight minutes or whatever it was. We came at them. We played the football. We looked like we were in pretty good shape in the way we were playing them. Then they get a soft penalty. Then they get a red card. And the game is done and dusted, and it's over. I still, you know, we looked, we did not look overawed when we came out from the opening whistle until that penalty. We didn't look overawed. We looked up for it. We were playing with a pretty weakened team, and I still think that the way we approached that game was right. And the reason I bring it up is that I think as we go into this game, like, I... I don't think there's, I mean, there's always something to fear with the referees. Don't get me wrong. Kane penalty. You got a, you got a budget for that basically. But I, I do think that the, the way we approach this game doesn't have to be a special tactical setup. I, I think there's always a concern that these players are going to be overawed by the big moment. I don't expect that to be the case at home with this group with our, our best players available, there, there is a tendency to think about mentality a lot. But when I look at how last season ended, I can actually explain it as simple as, look at the players we were trying to get through that period with, right? Look at the midfielders we were missing. Look at the defenders we were missing. Look at what we were trying to get through up, up front. So it, could this really just be as simple as, this Spurs team ain't seen nothing like us. They didn't have to play us with this group, and this group is a hell of a lot better than, than what they've seen before. And so just go play your football and let your quality show. Yes. Yeah. Like, I, God, I've been biting my arm off every time people go back to overdiagnose the Spurs game and the Newcastle game at the end of last season. It's really fucking simple why we got beaten. Um, and, like, you don't need to go to all these places about, oh, we should, you know, like, look at the players we had. Look at the state we were in at that point. We were, this was a young team that was exhausted and lacking players, especially in the final six players of the, the deepest six players of your team. Mm. We were a mess. And you go to Spurs um, uh, Stadium and you go to the Newcastle Stadium and they are absolutely rocking those two teams. Feeling good. Uh, um, 
got their energy, got all their players, crowd behind them. Like we think somehow we don't remember that Newcastle got stronger and stronger as that year went on, as that season Mm. went on. Like there's no real mystery why our team lost those games last season. And like, but we go into all of this complicated stuff as to like, we ran out of fucking players. We were exhausted. We, we did really well with the tight group we had, but it was a bunch of kids and we just ran out of steam at the end of the season. And, you know, we had, we came back, there was kind of a false dawn as we played against some of the lesser teams and we played the good football towards the end of the season. And then we ran into two teams that were strong, ready, had the players and were absolutely up for it uh, in front of an electric crowd. To your main point on this, we got to go at our stadium and go and play our football. You don't go and play some other kind of football because you've already played yourself out of the game with some, like, if you believe, if you're Mikel Arteta and you've been telling these guys about your principles and how we play, you can't then, you got to bring your stuff. And if we're not good enough, we find out. Because yep. this is a progression. This is a process. It's a season. It's a number of seasons. You can't suddenly go, uh, uh, let, let, you, let's you can play have, some other kind you, of football. I agree. Look, you can have tweaks for an individual game. I definitely think you can have an idea. And we did. You saw it yeah. against Brentford, by the way. I think we tweaked what we did a little bit. Certainly okay to do that. But I agree that the, the principles of play have to be consistent. And especially because, oh, by the way, coming out of an international break, this is not two weeks off to prepare a unique game plan for Arsenal. I, I do, th- I mean, for, for Tottenham, you know, it's worth pointing out, you know, he like will you want said, to surprise them. There's no two yeah, ways about that, little, but he won't want to change how nuance. we play. Yeah. Nuance to it. Can, not, not a re- revision. And, and it's worth pointing out again, 50% of the outfield players that started the away game last season would not be starters this season. So it, it is a very different situation. Clive, uh, why don't you add just a little bit onto that? Cause I don't want to not pivot. This isn't a full pivot. I want to just start to explore a different idea about what's on the line. Push up your rates, not pivot. There you go. (laughs) Push Uh, up your uh, rates. Yeah, exactly. We're not going to be in a double pivot. We're going to be in a single pivot. We're just going to we're going to drive the ball into the eights, uh, into the into the half space in a minute. What's your what's your point that uh, as Paul was talking to there, ramblings. (laughs) As Paul was talking there, he's absolutely right about you know you can't have a way of playing and can't talk about your principles of play and what we're going to do in every single training session over six, seven, eight months. And then changed that. And so we went for them and it didn't work out. But there is another side to this debate and I, and I have to have it because I think it's worth it. And other people will be nodding so I don't agree with that. And I say, let's give, let's give their side of the debate, right? So the, the club would know the health of those players. They would know there were some names on the team sheet that weren't healthy. And there is a time, maybe when a more pragmatic approach is required. Now, it's, I got this on Paul, actually, and I remember this really clearly. We had a pre-game show for the Spurs game, and Paul mentioned about Anfield and how we approached Anfield, how we wanted to get to the first half nil-nil. And it's some of that, I'm paraphrasing Paul, want to get to the first half nil-nil. And I took that and thought, you know what, that's really smart, because I thought to myself, we don't need to win this Spurs game. Could we have not set out our store, let the game come to us? If we're nil-nil at halftime, that stadium is going mad because they need to win this game to close the gap. And we did not let the game come to us. In fact, we went for it so aggressively. We ended up in 10 minutes after 20 minutes. 
Now, yeah. if I'm sitting there with 80 million quid on the line, which is a difference, well, I'll say 50 million quid on the line, difference between Champions League and Europa League money potentially, mate, could I just stick my principles up my backside for five minutes and say, hold on, I need to, I, I've got Ben White with a hamstring, I've got Tom Yasu's out, I've got no Thomas Pye, I've got, I've got no Kieran Tierney, I've got, ish, I've got uh, issues at centre forward, you know, this, these are things yeah, that happen over a season. On the left, but yeah. Holding side, sorry, you're absolutely right, sorry. Holding side against the quickest player in the league in open space, Cedric Stide. I mean, there are things he goes, hold on, I'm, I might need to change. I'm not sure we had the personnel to change. But I do feel the approach of letting the game come to you on occasions is not the worst thing in the world. Our desire to want to show how good we are can sometimes overcome some sensible prag- pragmatism in possession yeah. where and I, I just it's just a feeling i have and i got the same Can feeling at manchester guys? united paul as well and i've, yeah. I've had this no. feeling we're, we we know we're on the cusp of something but the desperation to deliver that can sometimes yeah. look a little bit naive does that make sense mate yeah, it makes can a I, lot of sense. Yeah, can yeah. I say something? That's quickly. where I wanted to go in a minute. So yes, yes, Paul, very you quickly. You can have ten seconds, and then That's we're going to go in that direction, please. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I fully agree with that. When I say we got to play our football, I mean at home at the Emirates when we're playing great against Spurs. I wanted us to do something different at away at Spurs and at Newcastle last year because I knew we were in trouble. And we didn't have the players. I was all up for, like, we did something different against Chelsea and we got a win uh, at the end of last season. I would have been totally happy to throw away the the big book of principles and get a result last year. I'm really talking about where we're at right now. I hear you, mate. You you can't be ready with the team, strong, playing your good football at home against Spurs and then say, oh, uh, uh, we don't believe in what we're doing. Sure. Look, I, I think if this is the 38th game and you need mm-hmm. one point to be champions, you literally do whatever you think gets you that one point. But if yeah. you're in September... that's a principle too, winning right, games. Yeah, winning games. But if you're in September and you got a whole season ahead and you need to show that your football is your football, I, I get it. Yep. Look, the funny thing is for 22 minutes, we were the better team away at Spurs. And then we get a ridiculous penalty given against us. And I think it shows what we're going to, what we know already going into this game. You give that team a goal lead and you have to really go at them and they can sit back and play even more to their strength. You are asking for it. Doing that down to 10 men. Then there was no way to compete, especially with the players we had out there. That's Mm -hmm. not going to be the case in this game. So I want to talk about what's actually on the line in the next two games, but I also want to talk about mental health. So it's time for a word from our sponsor, BetterHelp. This is certainly, I mean, I I love all our sponsors, like I love my children, of course, but this is one that I feel really particularly connected to because I did make the decision to to do therapy uh, many years ago when, you know, I wouldn't say that I was necessarily having a mental health crisis, but I was going through challenges in my own life, sort of understanding what I was trying to accomplish in life, where I was in life, struggling with challenges in my personal and professional life. And It's about problem solving. I think what happens day to day, we're just trying to get through our day, right? Get up, get ready, get dressed, listen to the Arsenal Vision podcast, obviously. Um, Get off to work or get off to school or get the good grades or, or do well in the job and get home and spend time with family. And what you don't get is time to stop and think about what's going on with you. How are you? Take stock. You know, think about what, you know, what, what's bothering me? What's, 
Why do I have this feeling of, of concern or dread or upset? There's no time for that. We don't make time for that. And just like if you don't make time to get to the doctor or to work out or to eat healthy, over the years, it catches up with you. Therapy is about solving that. It's about taking a moment to stop and work on you and tell someone who is licensed to deal with it, I think this is bothering me or I can't understand why I feel this way or I'm struggling with this challenge and working through it. BetterHelp is online therapy. You can get matched with someone in under 48 hours who is licensed in a specialty if you need specialist help, which may not even be available in your area. It is more affordable. It is more accessible. It can be totally um, anonymous if you want to go camera off. You can change therapists. This is something that I, I just would recommend to anybody because it's 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 the fine-tuning. It's not always just the big problems. It's the fine-tuning. So if you're thinking giving therapy a try, BetterHelp is a great option. When you want to be a better problem solver, therapy can get you there. Visit betterhelp.com slash arsenalvision today to get 10% off your first month. That is betterhelp, betterhelp.com slash arsenalvision. No. You know what? I've been saying that wrong the whole time. And and that's, that's a shame because they went ahead and gave us our own little promo code thing all for me to mess it up. It is betterhelp.com slash vision. Just the vision. You just need vision. There you go. Betterhelp.com slash vision. That's better. H-E-L-P.com slash vision. Do it now. And of course, one thing you do need to know, UEFA Champions League Soccer is streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Nine months of hard stop and hold your breath exhilarations underway with the biggest stars, top teams, craziest fan bases across Europe. Watch every match from the group stage through the knockout rounds as Benzema and Real Madrid defend their title against Liverpool, Man City, Chelsea, PSG, Barcelona, and more in soccer's biggest club competition. So don't miss a sweat-soaked second of regulation time. Stop your time and extra time and stream every match of the UEFA Champions League live exclusively on Paramount+. Plus And the Europa League featuring Arsenal versus Boda Glimpt. Clive! Is that enough of that? <laughs> oh, indeed. <laughs> Multiple indeed. personality disorder with this fellow. Indeed it is enough Good of that. Vietnam. Pardon? I did live in Nashville, Tennessee, briefly. And I can tell you that there are two different types of Southern American accents. There's... There's a Southern American accent that like really can be quite infectious um, and, uh, and appealing. It draws you in and it's got a warmth to it, a, just a little bit of a draw. And then there's the one where the lips don't touch together when they talk. The real country accent. How y'all doing? Your, your lips don't even touch together. Just how y'all doing? It, it, that's a, that one, you find that out there in the country. And those of you listening who are from that area, you know what, you know what I'm talking about. Anyway, just a little bit of dialectic uh, humor there, given that the Ars cast has been doing some of that themselves. Uh, I know James has been taking on many faces, many hats, many clothes, and many accents. So uh, that's all I got. Now, Clive, I want to talk for pretty much the balance of this podcast on what is on the line. And I have a thought for you that you're going to hate. It's time to prove it. I would say to this Arsenal now, prove it. You're top of the league. You're playing the, as the best football along with City in the league. Your players are in rip-roaring form. Every game you played this season, you've been the better team on the pitch. You got Spurs at home and Liverpool at home, okay? We're in this project. It's a project. It's a process. Trust the process. Trust the project, sure. But at some point, you have to go from notionally being in the right direction to actually being the team you think you might be. And my, my statement to this team would be, you know what? You've got the talent. You've got the tactics. You're ready 
prove it. Go beat Spurs at home. Go beat Liverpool at home and totally change the way you think about yourself, the way the media thinks about you, the way fans think about you. Become the team that inspires fear. Become the, become what the Invincibles were in the sense of when they stepped on the pitch, those teams were beaten before they started. That happens with City too. You see these smaller teams, no, I'm going to have none of the ball. I'm going to be chasing shadows all day. Maybe I'll take this game off and work for the next game. Prove it. Go prove your bona fides by winning these next two games. Clive, I think this is the moment where this team has to go from the process from notionally great to just great. And we've got two excellent chances, Spurs at home, and I would say a Liverpool that is still dangerous, but not as dangerous as they've been at home, and we owe it to these two teams. So what is your reaction to my idea that it is time for us to prove it in these two big games? See, that I think that's dangerous thinking. <laughs> I think, it, uh-huh. yeah, I I think it's no, dangerous thinking. Anytime I suggest we have to win a football match, you got Clive and Paul over here saying, now, now, just a minute. We don't uh, yeah. right. that Well, hey, look, we all want the moment. We, we all do. We all want that moment where we think, that's it. We've arrived. We've all won that moment. Here we go. We've shown everybody we can do it. We've arrived. You know I'm going to say it. I mentioned the word arrive. You know I'm going to say. You never arrive. Yep. You never arrive. There's always another a game. There's always another problem. I'm sure when Manchester United rolled into Brentford, I didn't think they were going to get beat 4-0. Right? There's always something around the corner. You never arrive. As soon as you think you've cracked it, you end up in the trees. It's just the way it goes. Right? And and so that but moment we're after... The end of last season, right? I mean, they, they thought they ended at a level that that could win the league, that could have won the league, that that they were just ready to take on City again this season and, like, pride comes before a fall, shit happens. Like, Well, just- I, look, the, the more obvious answer is just that they're at the end of their project and we are at the start of it. Like, they are on the... Oh, so, yeah, so we say this now, but we've mm-hmm. done... I've done, a mm-hmm. few podca- I've done a few podcasts with you, Elliot. You've mentioned the word Liverpool a number of times. And, um, and we've been speaking about Liverpool with such wonderful terms, if not three months ago. Right, so yep. and suddenly we open our eyes to a different Liverpool post the preseason. We see the injuries. We have a little closer look at their midfield ages. They have some injuries, and suddenly we're going, "Oh, they're into the cycle." They lose Mane, who's a very aggressive fire starter for them. They get their money in. They spend eighty million quid on hundred million euros on somebody else who's still settling in. Back to the point that we made, we all made, or definitely I made, the league's in transition. It's very much in transition. And I'm going to say something that probably contradicts myself. It's something I've been thinking about, actually, because the whole league is the way it's financed and it continues to be financed with big money. And I don't, I'm not sure where we're going regarding, I'm talking state money, I'm talking real big money, you know? I'm not sure where we're going, how we're going to be financed. And some people say, you know, you have to readjust your, you know, what's, what is success. I'm starting to wonder, and it's going to sound really, really controversial. I'm starting to wonder if this is the year we can win it. Is this the year? No, I'm, I'm telling you now. I'll tell you. And say if, we, if we don't, it's a, we should sack Arteta. No. I, if we're not, no, if, actually, let me, if we don't let get me, wrapped up by April, I'd sack Arteta. Let me tell you, let me tell you why, right? Because Chelsea, are, are, they're going to flex. They are going to flex their muscles, right? Um, mm-hmm. Liverpool will readjust. Whether they can do it quickly because of their financial model, 
Man City, you know, when they, they, they're going to go again, right? What if they buy a Jude Bellingham? You know, what if they get him in? You know, and that's the that's the midfield fix for a little while. You know, and the, the players that are out there with the top talent, we, they're hundred million, hundred million pound players. We can't do it. And there is a win, there is a window that we think is two, three years down the road. What if that window's now? What if that window's now where Chelsea are, where City are? They're in transition as well, by the way, bringing in new fours. Okay, the guy's a machine at the moment, but that could that may not always be the case. What if you know? What if there's a problem there? There is a window right now. It's what worries me about Spurs as well. They recognise there's a window right there. Look at their ages. There's a level of pragmatism about them, level level of functions about them, that in a compressed year when it's compressed one end and it's split into two seasons, is this a Leicester year? I, I mean that. If look at Manchester United. They're not going to stay where they are for too much longer. And sometimes a window in a transition year for the league is right now. And I say we win it. Maybe it's a Leicester year. Is there is there a team that's going to pop up? It's going to be us or Spurs, basically. That's what I'm saying. Is it going to be us or Spurs that's going to take advantage of the fact that some of the City teams, some of the City back, back players are getting older, they're picking up injuries, the goal, the goal scoring is unbelievable. We all know that. There are things happening in Liverpool. They're trying to build a young team below a, an older team. They need luck with injuries. They need luck with adaptation of Nunes. There is a window there. There is a window, and I'm not saying we're going to win the league, but I wouldn't dismiss the opportunity that's in front of us if we were to be smart and continue to develop along this path. That's what I'm trying to say. Yeah, I, I want to make a point about Liverpool just quickly. Like, if you look at their team, Milner, Henderson, Thiago, Van Dyke, Matip, Firmino, Salah, over 30. They've got a lot of re- reworking of that squad to do over the next few seasons or windows or however you look at it. And if I look at what FSG has done recently, what John Henry's done, look at the Red Sox. They won a World Series using the sort of money ball model, if you want to call it that. They invested a lot, but they did it with sort of money ball philosophies and a general manager who uh, um, adhered to those philosophies. They actually tried to get the money ball guy himself, right? And that's in the movie Moneyball and in the book. But... Then he just sort of stopped. He sold off assets. He got rid of their best players. And he he took a break spending on them. And they've kind of gone downhill, including a season, the Red Sox I'm talking about, including a season this season where I think they were fifth place out of five teams uh, in, their, in their division and just embarrassingly bad. I don't think it's a given that Henry wants to fund Liverpool's rebuild outside of sort of sell to replace. Now, you could say, well, he did just spend all the money in the world on on Darwin Nunez, fair enough. But I think it'll be interesting to see how far he pushes the boat out in terms of trying to replace Salah and Van Dyke and Thiago and Jordan Henderson. It's going to need to be done. I, I think Liverpool are a good team. They'll be a good team. Scott's model, by the way, has them still finishing second this season, and I'm going to forget who tweeted it, but I love, love the tweet and reply. He says, my model still has Liverpool second. And the person replied, wow, I wouldn't have thought that City would finish out of the top two. And I thought that was a great reply, and so I want to call it out here. But, Paul, my point about Proof is, like, forget what the fans think. If I'm Mikel Arteta, I don't want to be afraid to set goals. I don't want to be afraid to have this process have to result in something eventually. Like, there's nothing wrong with saying we have a goal, and our goal is we have two home games against good teams that we have a chance to – we beat – 
Spurs at home last season. We haven't had the best run against Liverpool. They're a little bit vulnerable. I don't think there's anything wrong with saying prove it to his players. You guys know you're good. The world's ready to know you're good. Prove it. Why is it wrong? We're scared of ambition sometimes. We're scared that, well, if we say prove it and they don't, does it mean we're not good? No, it doesn't mean we're not good. I'd take the United performance 10 times out of 10. You're going to make some mistakes in games, and football is a low-scoring sport. You're going to get punished. But, but Paul, why do we have to bristle so much anytime someone says, here's a goal you have to achieve? Here's a Goal setting is important in all of our life. If we say you got to come top four, there's always someone who's like, no, no, wait a minute. Well, you know, as long as the XG is good and we play well, you don't have to come top. Set some goals, and I don't think there's anything wrong with saying to the team, prove it. Go win these next two games. Tell the world you've arrived. And, and what that does for these players, what it does – stepping on the pitch in these future games, the confidence and belief it gives you that you can go do something. Like, why Why do we have to bristle at goal setting? Why is that such a dangerous thing? Uh, no, I think you're right. I mean... Oh, um, there's a shock. I, I just... <laughs> it doesn't happen often. <laughs> well, you know, it's just your thing, the way you lay it out there. It, it's, it, you're begging for... It's always aggressive. I, I put oh, a little you, extra muscle you're now, in you're now wrong. You're now wrong. You were right, but you're now wrong. <laughs> me, yeah. You were right, but let me tell you how you were wrong in the way you said it. <laughs> yeah. Um, you're that guy in the bar that's just begging somebody to punch him on the chin. You know the way that that's... I'm so likable, Paul. Maybe not on the podcast, but in person, I'm quite likable. I'm also so diminutive. How, how could you ever want to be aggressive towards someone like me? I wouldn't. I oh, wouldn't. There you go. Thank you. Okay. Um, but I think your basic point is right that uh, there's no reason... Like, I don't think Arteta isn't a guy who, who doesn't uh, set like a, a a reach goal for himself, for this team. Like, he wants to win the league, and then he wants to win the Champions League. And the only question is, will Arsenal as a club match up to his ambitions? And so far they are. And that's in part due to him, because the club looks at him and says, yeah, we, we got what we hoped we had. Maybe there was a half a season here or there where we weren't quite sure if if we'd maybe got this a little wrong, but this guy, this guy is turning into what we had hoped he might be. And the stars mm. are starting to align and they believe in him. So they invest, they invest so he can perform. Um, Mikel Arteta is not a man of ordinary ambitions. Um, and so there is absolutely no way that he looks at any one of these games without understanding where he thinks the path is. Um, so, yeah, he's, we can see with him, with how he talks, with how, like, why is he so cagey about for a nothing game about whether this player might be available or that player might be available? Or if you hear him talk to Eiderval uh, uh, about how he's, uh, kind of trying to get an advantage just before a game starts about by holding back information on his players or spying on their lineup before that. Like he sees it all part of a trajectory. Um, so there's absolutely he, no way he doesn't see these games as a test as to where we're at. And we've seen him say things like, if you want to be in the Champions League, this is a game you need to win. So mm -hmm. he's not going to shy away from set mar appropriate markers for where they're at. He wouldn't quite say it like you because he doesn't get punched in the bar by mm -hmm. strangers. But he's basically saying the same I, thing. I could see him getting into a scrap with his level of intensity. I could see him, <laughs> I could, I could see him getting into a scrap or two. Yeah, he, um, he's, I mean, he's he got a lot of red cards in his day. 
<laughs> yeah, uh, he's going to look at these games. They're at home, right? If this was away at Spurs, it, it, it's a whole other ball game uh, psychologically for where we're at. Blah blah blah. Um, but later on this season, when we go to them, if we're rocking and rolling, we're doing our stuff. He'll see that that is an opportunity to show progression over the year before. Um, he thinks we're going places. And yeah. yeah, these two games are another marker. As the Liverpool games around uh, the new year were last year, a way of testing ourselves. The, these two games coming up are a way of testing ourselves. And for him to be able to say to the players, you got more to do. You know, if we win, great. If we don't win, guys... We, it's not our talent. It's not our football. Psychologically, we have things to do. You can't fake it. You can't talk yourself into it. You yep. got to work your way there. You got to yeah, live and, it. You got to embody look, it. I want to be clear. I've been as high on how we're playing this season as anybody. I believe it. I don't think it's a mirage. I think it's real. I think we are one of the best teams in the league behind probably only City right now in terms of what we're doing on the pitch. I don't like having to show the field tilt and the XG and the shot totals and the possession totals and the PPDA to say that we're good. I like pointing to the scoreboard like everybody else. That United game hurt me only because I don't think we got the result that our football, I, I will never use the word deserve. Deserve is, is not a word that belongs in football because if you, if you lose, you deserve to lose. It's that simple. But I want to be able to point to results. And the other thing is, look, we may not win the title, guys. I hate to break it to you. We may not. Seasons are also about big games. You can come away from a season. I mean, I guarantee you if Everton finish eighth and beat Liverpool twice in a season, their fans are going to feel okay about that season, right? I want to beat Spurs. I want to beat Liverpool. I want to beat Chelsea. These are games I want to win. And I think we've arrived at a moment where we can create those memories. And I think winning those games leads to winning them in the future. Uh, Paul, do you have something to add super quick? and then right Yeah. Uh, look, oh, I agree we're great on the ball. I think we're one of the best couple of teams in the league on the ball. I think defensively we're really good. But I think we're there's a fragility and some issues for us transitionally. Um, like, we have our weaknesses, and if you're Conte, you're going to be licking your chops. So we're, not, we're really good at football when we have the ball. Um, we haven't had a lot of experience being the better team on the pitch and then getting countered by a really good team. We were quite good last year, so we weren't as overextended over our ski tips. So for me, the the area of our game where I feel, and we saw it in the United game, right? That could be a replay of what happens against Spurs, right? There are things we need to get a lot better at before we're a robust team that can rock into stadium after stadium, team after team, one playing back, one attacking, one mixing it up, one hitting us on the counter. Uh, like That's why I don't think we're ready yet. We could be in the second half of the season, but in the first half of this season, we got to be able to flex in and out of different stages in a game, different phases, right. and like never give them daylight. And we give, we give a very good team too much daylight when they get the ball, and we're like, oh shit, we got to do that thing we do against yeah. weaker teams. So there are areas we need to tighten up significantly here. We're not we're not the finished article or the second best team in the league yet. We're the second best team with the ball at our feet. Mm, I yeah, all right, Clive. I, I I hear what Paul's saying there, and he's put, he's got May United fresh in his memory, and mm-hmm. and 
that day we saw um, our ability, our want and desire to show what we could do on the ball, take away from our structure around the central space. And Ericsson took took the mickey in that space and and turned it through to one of the fastest forwards a couple of times, and they've won the game, right? So, so that was one game. We we weren't as structurally strong. Now I. I watched the Brentford game since and if you watch that game the number one thing about that game was our structure it, it was outstanding and we've obviously <laughs> Paul they've done a rewatch right <laughs> and they've watched the game and they've, they've made some adjustments and and I thought our distances around that zone was much better I thought um, Ben White's inversion was really really good Kieran Tilly was an excellent protector in that space and Thomas Party is what he is right so I never felt for one minute we were going to get transitioned on. I felt our centre-backs were a bit high against Old Trafford, didn't drop off soon enough, much better in the, in the Brentford game, much more controlled. And so I'm hopeful the Brentford game is almost like a dress rehearsal for the Spurs game because they've got... They've, they also play a back three. They're quite strong, quite physical. They do hit the sides, and it is a dress rehearsal for that game. And I thought the Brentford game was one of the best tactical games of football I've seen since the first half of Man City on New Year's Day. So I'm hopeful while, while recognising everything that you said. And we're fans, right? So every single fear we could possibly muster, we're going to muster it. <laughs> and Spurs are good on the counter. So why the hell not? You're not wrong. <laughs> You're not wrong. I'm just hopeful that we've learned the lessons that May United told us and, and maybe Spurs showed us in previous years, particularly on their ground. But we're on our ground. And as you said, Paul, I'm expecting to dominate the ball, dominate position, dominate territory. It's about execution. It's about controlling the scoreboard to watch out for them lot. If they score first, they've got the game they want. Yeah, I, look, I think we've been handed an opportunity. I, look, you can you can see things as, as potential pitfalls. You can see them as opportunity. We get Tottenham coming off an international break where their most important players have been away all over the place doing whatever they got to do. We've had a good cluster of players at home. They've got Champions League in midweek. We have Boda Glimt, I think, you know, with all due respect to them, and they've had some really good results. I think they smashed Roma last season. I, I think they got a draw against PSV already in, in this Europa League campaign, but we can be a little more focused on the league fi- the next two league fixtures. Liverpool, they got Rangers games, home and away. You know, our, our games in between that. They're going to play all their starters in midweek for those games. This is opportunity. This is opportunity to go do something that fundamentally changes the way we look at ourselves and 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 the way the league looks at us. Clive, I just wanted to press that button and see what happened. But, oh, but basically, hand raise button? You, have a hand, you have a hand raise button, and, and Paul Paul abuses it. Clive, Clive, Clive. I've never done it. He doesn't need to raise. I've never it. done it. Right. So um, was it exhilarating? But wait, it's interesting where you're going in your mind, and I've just taken it a step further by saying, is this the year to really go for the league? Right, it's this year mm. to win it. And I just want to qualify that a little bit. We have, we stopped mid-November, and we could be right up there, right? Then we have this big period of time where we can see our position is there for a while. If you're in the executive rooms, you're thinking, do I bring forward my investments? What do I do? We're sitting, to say, first or second in the league, what do I do? This is not normal. We don't have this breathing time before the January transfer window starts. 
right? We're in the mixer. We're going at it full tilt. This is a time, at this time, to reassess our ambitions, right? So when I say to you, this might be a Leicester year, it might be. It may not be, right? But it could be. And none of us know what this second half of the season is going to be. It's literally two seasons in one. And we have a period to really reassess and think, where is my ambition? What do I want to be? Do I do it now? Based on the competitive landscape of the league. I think it's going to be so interesting to see how we pivot. And there's an opportunity there if we we seize it. And and this is my point about opportunity and about proving it. Like, if we beat Spurs and Liverpool in consecutive games, no one's going to be laughing off the idea that we could go for a title. It may not happen. Of course it may not happen. It's really hard to do. And we have a team, ab- not, not above us, no teams are above us, but a team that may finish above us that can push for 100 points in any given season. I get it. But the thing that's dumb is if you want to laugh off, oh, title this year, come on, guys. It's not realistic. Don't create those kind of expectations. Let me ask you, when, when should we win the title? What season is coming up where it's just going to be easy? What season is coming up where we're just going to go, oh, you know, we'll get 78 points and win a title. That season isn't coming. And I get that there's more seasons. Bukayo's getting not in his prime. Martinelli's not in his prime. Odegaard is just coming into his prime, right? Uh, the Gabriel Jesus has just started his prime. All, all of these players, Saliba, not close to his prime. Ramsdale, not close. We're going to get better. So I'm not saying there won't be other good seasons. But the idea that there's just going to be a perfect season to go win the league and this isn't it is silly. You may need 92, 93 points to go do it, and that sucks, and that's hard. And as long as Pep's around and City's around, that it, it may only get harder. Newcastle's not going to spend less. Chelsea's not going to spend less. So right now, maybe you do it. And the way you do that is you start by taking the opportunity to big clubs coming to your place when you're playing well at a time of the season when you have the edge, and you go beat them and you prove it, and nobody's going to be laughing off our opportunity then. And I'll tell you something. We also caught another break because we don't have to play City in midweek during this run. We're going to play PSV instead. And so we can push off the challenge of City a little bit further, really establish ourselves right at the top of the table before we ever have to see the one team that I think really can embarrass you, put your claim to rest, and show that you're a pretender. But none of this matters if you can't go beat Spurs and Liverpool at home. Those are, you know, here's the reality it, when you can win the league with 85 points, you didn't have to win any games. When you need 92 or 93 points to do it, you have to win the home games against big clubs. You have to. And so, Paul, I'll finish with you on this point. I'm not saying we're going to win the league. I'm not saying we have to win these games or the project is bunk. What I'm saying is there's an opportunity here. There's never going to be a season where the league just opens itself up to you and says, come win me. So I don't think it's right to dismiss our claim, but that starts by showing that we aren't just pretty football against mid and lower table. We are effective football in these big games, and we got two big games to do it. Um. Uh, is there a, a piece of paper where I can sign off not being on this this vibe? Um, <laughs> I wonder why though. Like, what, yeah. Why well, is it wrong? here's my why. Just yeah. just yeah, pragmatism. I look at it and I say, how would I feel about this team if I was another club, another manager? Our squad's still pretty thin, as we're experiencing at the moment, and we haven't even got to the tough part of the season. Look, I I agree with you that there's an opportunity, but it feels like we're obsessing on outcome, not process. I'm happy with us playing like uh, one of the top two, three clubs. I'm just going to stop you for one second, then I'll let you go because I want to clarify something. I'm not saying my evaluation of the season at the end will depend on us having won the title, Paul. My evaluation at the end will be based on how we played and whether I think that we're in the right direction, all that. What I'm saying is 
forward-looking goals. There's no reason to just say, nah, you don't have to try to go for the league. It's not really there for us. Don't be silly. Like, you see what I'm saying? I'm not saying if we don't win the league, it'll be failure. That wasn't remotely my point. Yeah, yeah. Look, it's a lot about tone, and you guys are, you know, gung-ho for, we got to be able to beat Spurs and Liverpool at home. And, like, I don't disagree with that. It's, I'm much more, where are we at? It's almost like a kind of a toothpaste equivalent, right? In terms of our season, in terms of the development of this team, we need to, like, our team's really good. Now we need to kind of make it a lot more savvy, a lot more robust. Look at how teams get, or games get won with your Harry Kane doing fucking dark arts and this and that and professionalism and working the refs. We're, you know, not getting cards, we're not getting yellows when other te- teams get yellows. Like, we have so far to come as a team to be in the frame to win this beyond how good are we yet at football. So I'm as excited about where we're at, where we're going, the level of our football. Yes, individually, we should win those games. But like, I just see the gap between football is one, how good you are with the ball or without the ball is one dimension of it. Transitions is another, the kind of the size of your squad, the experience, the robust, all the things it takes for a team to even be in the top two over a season when we get into multi-competitions. Like, that's a whole thing you got to learn beyond. But the first piece is be really good at football. The hardest piece is is that. And then you've got to industrialize the ruggedness of the mentality of your team, of your... We saw what a bunch of kids this was in the dressing room last year, how few voices there were. We have miles to go is my only concern. Football-wise, yeah, I'm with you. Mm. And and the only thing I would say about the, the, the small squad, just as a point of reference, in 2019-20, when Liverpool won the league with 99 points, seven outfield players played 34 games or more. Seven. That means only three players had to play fewer than 34 games for them in the league that season in out, outfield players. You know, forget keeper. So... You know, I, I I think that while depth is important, luck plays a role. You got to get a little lucky to win a title, right? And part of that luck is keeping players fit. So we'll just, we'll see how that goes. Look, just to be clear, for anybody who's sort of missing the nuance here, no one on this podcast is saying win a title or it's failure. I think the nuance is we love how we're playing. We love the talent in the squad. If we can go prove something in these next two games, I don't think it is ridiculous to look at this season and say, there's no such thing as an easy season. There's never going to be one. Go make this something special. Don't laugh off the idea that you know we're top of the table after seven games. If we're top of the table after nine games, like it's 25% of the season gone. Just go do it for the other 30, 29 games. Easy. It's, I mean, if you win the next 29 games after that, you're probably going to be champions, and I think that's what we'll probably do. Let's leave it there. Uh, we will probably have one Patreon piece of content before the game um, to just go over the latest news and look ahead. Paul's on Twitter. Pause my pants. Thanks, pause. Woohoo! Always keeping us grounded. Or you might say uh, the low expectation setter of the group. I don't know. <laughs> Your mileage may vary. Clive's on Twitter. Clive PFC. Thanks, Clive. Thank you very much. The man who believes we should win the title will win the title. And if we don't, wants to sack our title. I, be- and then I believe. I believe. Let's see where we are in November. There could be an opportunity. What will we do? That's the key thing. What will we do? Uh, look. I'm already on record saying I think we win the next 31 games, so pretty straightforward. My name is Alex Smith. You can block me on Twitter, Yankee Gunner. My hands are already clammy talking about it, everybody. I hope yours are, too. 
big week ahead, big weekend ahead. We love you so much for being here. Uh, we will obviously have an instant reaction after the game. We'll have one more piece of content, I think, before the game. And most importantly, I hope you have an amazing, amazing day on Derby Day. Um, a day that is nervy like no other, but can be exhilarating like no other as well. We love you. And we will talk to you after Arsenal 10 time. No. Nope. 